Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week I'm joined by Adam Shupak. And if this one's going to sound a little bit different, it's because we're doing it live. We're doing it live here at Torrey Pines in La Jolla, California, site of the 2021 U.S. Open. Adam is about four and a half feet away from me, and we are outside on the grounds of the South Course here at Torrey Pines, which is going to be, as I said, the site of the U.S. Open. Adam, welcome to California. How you doing, pal? Oh, I'm staying classy. I'm staying classy. Well, that's Im- that's important. You know, you gotta you gotta keep it classy out here in California. Um, you've spent some time here. You've been to Torrey Pines before. What do you think about this course and this place as a venue for a U.S. Open? We we come here every January. Um, what are your thoughts on Torrey? You know, I played it out here a week before the Farmers in January, and it's just a beast. It's it's a really difficult course for average golfers. Um, and, and I don't really like it so much for a, a U.S. Open, to be honest with you. I, I think it, it's such a, bo- it's been made into a very much a bombers course. And I expect someone with, who can really, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't feel like it's one of the better U.S. Open venues. Uh, every once in a while, I'm cool with them coming here. It's such a great city, a great place to play a major. We're not going to have to worry about you know, rain delays, knock on wood. No, definitely but, not. But uh, I just think there's some better spots to go to. But, you know, what happened here in 2008 was special. And I do like the fact that it's it's a, it's a, one of the great municipal golf courses in the country that anybody can come if they want to fork over $252 like I did. Um, you can come out and play the same course where the U.S. Open was, you know, starting Monday, next Monday. It's uh, to, to me, it's it falls in this category of fantastic venues. You know, I think that the golf course itself, as you sort of allude to, it's interesting and it's a lot of fun. We certainly have a lot of fun with this tournament every year in January. The weather is significantly different in June than it is in January from the people that I've talked to and the way that the guys are sort of getting ready for this tournament. um, It's they're expecting the course to play much firmer, much faster. Um, We have no rain in the forecast. It looks like it's going to be great weather out here. It's exactly what you think of when you think of San Diego weather. It's like, okay, it's going to be as chilly as 65 and as warm as like 71. And we get this this sort of marine layer that rolls in overnight and there's no rain that's in the forecast anytime during the championship. And then the marine layer by like 10 o'clock, 1030 rolls back out over the Pacific Ocean. You're left with this sort of hazy in and out sun. But the fairways are firmer. The the rough is higher. It's It's been set up to be a championship course. But to me, as you sort of are saying, it's it's the one of those courses like Pebble Beach where this is the reason why you spend the big bucks on the on the big screen HDTV at home because the views that you get over the cliffs here in La Jolla are something that and along with obviously the winner with, with Tiger back in today this is exactly what the USGA wants in terms of prime time East Coast Father's Day weekend sit your ass on the sofa and just soak up the golf this is one of the best in my opinion venues that they've got yeah for the for that. West, I think the West Coast, you're really onto some. That's probably the biggest reason they will come, continue to come back here every 10, 10 12 years like, like they've done here this time. I, I do think, you know, you're going to see some beauty shots of, of you know, paragliders and, and uh, you know, beach, beach combers, but there really isn't that much. There's, this is not an ocean side course. No, no, you're above the ocean here. You're above the ocean. You have these cliffs and canyons, but... It's I don't know. I think the North Course is much more scenic. Well, it's more fun to play. That's way sure. more fun to play for for the average golfer. Um, you know, I just think that the way this golf course is set up, it's going to be your typical U.S. Open. It's going to be a bloodbath. So when you played it, what did you think? What how how did you play? And what were your thoughts as a 
recreational, a good, good player going out and playing the venue that will be hosting the U.S. Open? Yeah, I just hit, I felt like I hit a lot of good drives that just buried into the rough and I was hacking out. And uh, I don't think I made a par until the eighth hole. And my buddy who can't break a hundred was, uh, was like six up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hate that. I, I, I've played it too. And I felt like it reminded me of a much prettier version of Beth Page Black. It's long. It's difficult. I'm hitting a lot of mid irons. I'm hitting a lot of hybrids. Um, I feel like if you don't drive the ball and hit the ball really well with the long clubs, it's a long schlog. Now this is much prettier than Beth Page Black, I, I, I think, but it's, um, it's funny. It's not a golf course as much as I think it is gorgeous and it's a stunner. It's not a golf course that I yearn to play again and again and again because it's just so damn hard. Yeah. If we were playing Beth Page or Tory 10 times, I think I'd play Beth Page at least eight of the 10. Really? Yeah. See, I, I, this is where I like, I'm not as big a Beth Page fan. I think it is a better golf course. Um, but if I'm going to get my ass handed to me, then at least let it be in a pretty venue. And, and this one is, this one's tough to beat. You know what? I think that this is not in my top 10 golf courses. It might be one of my top 10 venues in terms of like, just look how gorgeous this place is. Um, the paragliders going in, you know, flying over the cliffs, the sun setting in the Pacific, in those opening holes. You know, you're, people are going to get sick of looking at number three, which is the downhill par three. It's, it's one of the most beautiful holes that's out there. I have a suspicion, though, because you're alluding like, you know, we're going to come back. And I think that, um, you know, there's a, a big piece that's being put up by our boss, Tim Schmidt, about municipal golf that's going up on golfweek.com. Obviously, this is this is a muni. Like, you can come out here, like you said, you can plunk down your box. If you're out of state, it's, it's more, um, which is fine. I have no problem with that. But we don't have a lot of municipal golf courses, public access courses coming up anytime soon now on the U.S. Open Rota. If you take a look at it, the next ones, we've got the Country Club in 2022, L.A. Country Club, which is about as private as it gets in 23, Pinehurst, which is public. It's a resort course uh, in 24, Oakmont in 25, Shinnecock Hills, which is pretty damn blue blood uh, in 26, and then back to Pebble Beach in 27. So some resort courses, but we're getting back to the blue blood stuff. Do you think that we do come back? You know, what, what does your gut tell you? Do, do we come back to Torrey Pines? Do we go back to Bethpage Black? For future U.S. Opens, I think so, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be until at least twenty thirty one. And there has been a lot of talk of really coming up with a, a an actual U.S. Open rota with something Mike Davis was pushing and working on. And we'll we'll see what Mike Juan wants to do with that. But I I got to think that that this is part of what they want to do is to have a have a few of these mixed in there. They've done a great job ever since you know Beth Page in in, in two thousand and two. I I I'm a proponent of the rota. Um, I, I don't know that Torrey Pines is on the road. I think it might be. Um, I don't think it has the pedigree yet. Um, it hasn't had the opportunity to have the pedigree um, that someplace like Oakmont or Wingfoot or Shinnecock or Pebble um, has had an opportunity to develop. But but I think that if you get a core group of courses, you know, eight, nine, ten of them at least, and then maybe throw in one zinger every decade or so, that I'm happy with that. Like I looked, I loved going back to winged foot. I love the fact that we're going to the country club, you know, where we haven't been in a long time. Um, to me, Oakmont, Shinnecock, Pebble, they, we need to go to those places. And like we saw with the women at, at Olympic, when the venue becomes one of the stars, people get really, really into it. What do you, you're not a proponent of, of the rotor for us opens. I mean, I feel like it, it's sort of, there already kind of is one that exists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want them to force in an Aaron Hills 
you know, in, in, in over a, a Pinehurst, you know, Pinehurst is, is already officially going to get a, a bundle of, of U.S. Opens now after yeah. the USGA built an office, you know, a, a second home right there that they're building. And, and so we're going to be at Pinehurst a lot. We're going to be at Pebble. We're going to be at, at those big places. They can really go wherever they kind of want to go. But here's my hot take. I'd rather be at Chambers Bay this week. I really think that was that was just, that's a good venue. A lightning bolt from the sky on <laughs> no no that's okay, it. Let they, me hear you out. They Go fixed ahead. they have fixed the greens. Uh-huh. You take away that situation. I just think that that course versus Torrey Pines is you know, a lot of different type of golfers can win there. You can see a lot more different shots. I thought Seattle was was a great place to bring the Open. You got the, you get the same West Coast TV times and prime time and great ratings mm-hmm. that the that USGA and NBC and Golf Channel want. And, and, and the weather was phenomenal. I just, I just thought everything other than the fact that it was a terrible slog for the fans and the greens were they kind of pretty much lost them. Yeah. Um, if you can fix those two things, I'd like to go back to Chambers Bay. I, I don't disagree with you. Another I, Muni. Uh, it, it is yes, another public access facility. I think that the players so adamantly coming out that they didn't like Chambers Bay because of the greens has made it a big challenge. It's going to be a big win over for the USGA and the governing bodies of the game to say, look, we're going back to chambers. You guys are going to love it. You've got to go in with an open mind. and We're going to show you that this is, in fact, a championship worthy venue. I'm willing to give it another chance um, because I think you're right. I love the I love the idea of going up to the Pacific Northwest. I'm trying to remember it was 98. We were at Sahali when Steve Stricker nearly won. Um, he doesn't win that BJ, one. BJ. Uh, BJ Singh got him. Um, I, I like the idea of going up to the Pacific Northwest to do it. Bandon, as much of a fantasy as that would be, is just, it's not plausible. There isn't the hotel room, the logistics around it. You've got plenty of room for parking in Corporate Village. But if you've never been up to Bandon, as amazing as that venue is, you're two and a half hours from Eugene, Oregon, which is the closest sort of city of note. There really isn't an airport. I mean, there's North Bend, but it's, it's not, they just don't have the, the, the capacity to host 20, 30,000 people. I've been told by the USGA that this week, everybody on the grounds is going to be fewer than 10,000. Now, the last time we were here, it was more like 35,000. Torrey Pines is a big ballpark. But the USGA needs the US Open to be a revenue-producing thing. Like last year, obviously, with 2020 with COVID, all, all bets were off. We were just so happy to have a US Open. This is a major revenue driver for the organization, which then feeds that money down into other programs that the USGA oversees. This needs to make money. Bandon wouldn't do it for them. They wouldn't be able to have that. So, yeah, it would be great if we were up at Chambers. I don't know that Sahali is thought of. I mean, maybe, maybe you check it out, but we haven't been there in a long time. There's probably a reason for that that I don't know. But um, let's get into a little bit of the field here. Um, we are recording this Tuesday morning Pacific time. Um Bryson DeChambeau is your defending champion at the U.S. Open. Obviously, he wins at winged foot, six under par. He was the only player to finish under par at winged foot. Explain to me why the recipe that he used to win his U.S. Open, could it work here, in your opinion, at Torrey Pines? Or is is he going to have to change what worked for him at, at winged foot if he wants to win a second U.S. Open? I don't see why it, it shouldn't work. It, it, he proved that it worked at winged foot. He bombed it. He he missed fairways, but he was so close to the greens that he was able to wedge out and, and to wedge onto the greens. I mean, he just had the power game to do it. And I, I think he could probably do it again here. I do. Uh, I think the, r- the rough is going to be 
pretty significant this week. Lush, juicy. Yep. Uh, but I, I think I think he should he should stick with what worked and and continue to bombs away. Well, I think he's obviously fully committed to the philosophy. Certainly, we've seen that at week to week events. I mean, if if you're not committed to distance and overpowering golf courses, you don't try and hit it over a lake, you know, at Bay Hill, which he was so thrilled to do. I agree with you. I think that the the longer the golf course, the more narrow it is, and the thicker the rough, so the the bigger the penalty for missing off the tee, the bigger it plays into Bryson's hands because. One of the things that I think people didn't realize, which to me it becomes perfectly clear now, is that, yes, he hits it farther than just about everybody. Like We, we know that part. But if everyone is going to miss really narrow fairways into thick rough, you'd rather be a strong guy gouging it out of there. He also has all of his, his irons and his wedges are all the same length, which makes for some interesting things when he has to hit delicate shots around the green. But when you're gouging out with a wedge and his wedge is the length of a seven iron, which is about two inches longer than, say, like a sand wedge or, or a gap wedge or a pitching or whatever, then he's got an advantage of not only being stronger, but he's got a club that he can swing faster and it's longer. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the old idea of, like, would you rather be 150 yards out in the fairway or 110 yards out in the rough for Bryson? He'll take the rough every time and then take his chances with the putter. Yeah, and this is a golf course that the Kevin Nas and the Kevin Kisners the shorter knockers, they skip this event. They don't come yeah. to the farmers. There's a reason why Tiger Woods won eight times here. I mean, this this is a bomber's golf course. And, uh, you know, you look at the other past champions. There's a lot of Gary Woodlands. And and, and the long drivers always seem to do well here. So it's kind of why I like Brooks Kepka and names like Tony Finau. There are some guys. This is a horses for courses bomber's golf course with a few, you know, uh, you know, Patrick Reed won here earlier this year. We've seen Brant Snedeker have good putting weeks and win here. It can be done, but but this typically is a, a golf course that the Bombers succeed at. Now, as we're talking out here, there is a little bit of chirping going on as to whether the USGA did or did not ask Bryson DeChambeau if he would be okay being paired with Brooks Kepka. Obviously, the, the Twitter feud and, and all the back and forth has been going on since the PGA Championship. It really, as you wrote in golfweek.com, it goes back to 2018, which really was Bryson, you know, being called out by Brooks as being a slow play guy, as being somebody who was just taking too much time. And in some ways, oh, you're, you're about to hear the uh, the F-15s or I, I don't know, but it's I think it's an F-15 about comes screaming over our heads. We're very close to the Marine base and there's fighter jets over here. So I apologize if that blows out your car speakers here. But um, it's it's really something that goes on for a while. How much do you think? Brooks is in Bryson's head, Bryson is in Brooks' head, or is this something that's sort of a, a juicy story that in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to mean anything once they, they start pegging it up? I got to say, I'm disappointed that the USGA didn't pair them together. Like, that's what people wanted to see. I don't know if it's if it, grow, quote unquote, grows the game, as Kepka was saying, but I would have liked to have seen those guys. I think viewership would have been would have been sky high to see those two play Thursday, Friday. And, and and even for fans, I think it would have been pretty cool. I guess they avoid some of the, uh, you know, I, it would have been difficult, I think, on Bryson because I think people were going to, people are going to pick on him. He's he's getting into that Colin Montgomery but territory. Isn't, isn't that sort of self-inflicted? I mean, when you when people start chirping, the best way to quiet critics and people are yelling out Brooksy or whatever crap they were yelling out is like, just ignore them. Make a birdie. Ignore them. By having them get, you know, escorted like, off the yeah. property at Memorial and then giving Brooks an opportunity to give away 50 cases of beer with his sponsor, Michelob Ultra. You're just feeding into this. I promise you, if you or I follow 
DeChambeau around the golf course, we're going to hear Brooksies. Do you, I mean, do you, would you be surprised if you didn't hear that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely surprised. And so, like, what are you really doing? I, I agree. I, I think this is something that plays totally for, for Kepka. Um, I don't mind it. I think some of it's childish, which I kind of enjoy being basically like, you know, a 50-year-old child at heart. Um, but it's it's one of these things that the golf isn't used to this. You know, the, the decorum and sort of the mannerisms really sort of kick in. And there's sort of these unwritten rules that thou shalt not crap on the other guys. And Brooks doesn't care. You know, we know how he feels about Bryson. That one was a little bit lower. That's a very impressive jet moving very, very fast. Um, he doesn't care. He's won two two U.S. Opens. Um, if he's able to somehow get it done here to have won three U.S. Opens, um, you know, in the last five years, is some pretty elite company. What, what do you think of Brooks coming in? I'm not thrilled with the lack of consistency we've seen from Kepka recently, but what are your thoughts on him this week? I mean, he's just, he shows up at the majors. I don't know how he does it, but he, he, he manages to do it. I did not think he was going to play well at the PGA. I wouldn't have bet on him. And there he was in the final group. He had the lead on Sunday. Uh, this is a couple majors though, in a row where he, he's kind of folded on Sunday, uh, the last two PGAs. So I think this could be a really good venue for him, but I, you know, I, I still don't really trust how well the knee is. I know he spent a lot of time out here, uh, plays, you know, a lot of that rehab he's done on his knee has been right here in San Diego. And so, I, you know, even when I was out here earlier in January, happened to bump into him practicing out at the Grand, um, not not too far away. So I don't know how much he's gotten over here to really study the course. He doesn't seem to be that type of guy. But no. I, I would not be surprised if he's if he's on that leaderboard come Sunday. Um, Yeah, I, he's he's definitely the big game hunter. He definitely has said very clearly that he sometimes has trouble concentrating and really focusing on the week-to-week PGA Tour events. I think he's getting better at that. I think he's starting to value them a little bit more. That one's real low. You guys are going to get a nice earful out of that jet. Um, and what did you say there, Goose? This is, yeah. Mavericks, yeah, don't leave your wingman, Maverick. Which, by the way, I'm one of the. there's a lot of things to be pissed off about 2020. It sucked for a lot of people. We were supposed to get Maverick, the second Top Gun movie. And I was trying to convince my kids when I saw the preview. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, you've got to see this opening night. Top Gun was was way up there on young David Dusek's list of great movies. I, I think that Kepka is somebody who, like I said, just he shows up for the big events. Um, do you think that the experience that he had Sunday at Kiowa scars him? Or is that something he has to work through? Because obviously he didn't get it done. He loses to Mickelson. And then the whole rapture afterwards getting him basically caught up in that scrum of people um walking down 18 it had to be a really weird experience and then capping it off with the bryson video getting leaked afterwards is that something that lingers in his mind or do you think that he's sort of of the the dustin johnson camp where that's already long since forgotten not not something we need to think about that's a good question i i think you know i think there's there are not many people that can be like dustin and just go on to the next one so easily. Um, I think Kepka probably wants to be like that, but I, I think there's got to be a bit of scar tissue. And I think there's also a bit of like, man, I let, I let 50 year old Phil Mickelson beat me. Like that's got to be in his craw a bit. And, and he knows, he knows he let one get away. Cause that was there for the taking. He, oh, yeah. he, you know, he had the lead after the first hole and, he, and I thought there was a good chance. He was just going to run away with it from there. Um, let's talk about Dustin Johnson for a second. World number one, not coming into this tournament with a whole head of steam. 
You know, it's, I think that last year, after he wins the Masters, there was a feeling out there in the world of golf that Dustin Johnson was about to put a smackdown on the entire world. And the fact that we were going to be going from the Masters in November so quickly into championship season. Ordinarily, you're finishing the season's final major championship and then the FedEx Cup and you were done in September. Um, you know, whether it's a Ryder Cup year, a President's Cup year, there's a there's a prolonged stretch of non-championship golf. Dustin Johnson wins the November Masters and then has, you know, basically six months. Boom, we're right back at Augusta National, a place where you think, well, he won it six months ago. Why can't he win it again? He obviously d- does not win it. And the PGA Championship is not a part of that. He's coming into this one last week. It looked like he should have been the class of the field at the Palmetto Championship um, in South Carolina, and he fades on the weekend. Like he had a weekend to forget. Any concern or thoughts? What What are we supposed to make out of the performance of the world number one coming into the U.S. Open? I think it was actually kind of good that he got back into into the hunt there last week. Uh, I was surprised that he he didn't really just. Go come through on on the weekend was really some some poor play for him, but maybe that fires him up. I, I think this is a really good venue. I still like him a lot in U.S. Opens. Um, you know the fact that he's only got one when he when he should probably have three. Three, yeah, um, is a bit mind boggling. And uh, you know I I just it's going to come down to his putting. He he has not really putted very well this season. And that's the stat that I wrote down: ninety second in strokes gained putting this season on the PGA Tour, which is down significantly for him. Um, he's always been somebody who switches putters. He, he switches them a lot. He has a different putter, at least he did on Monday, a different putter on the practice green than he used last week at the Palmetto. Surprise, surprise. Um, he, he is my odds-on favorite. Some people would say it would be Mickelson, but Dustin Johnson would be my odds-on favorite to be the first U.S. Open champion to win using four different putters on four days. <laughs> I think that's totally in play with him. Um, It'd be great to see a little bit more consistency from him, but the putting is is the thing that really needs to happen. One of the most interesting storylines coming into this U.S. Open is going to be John Rahm. Now, obviously, the last time we saw John, he had a commanding lead at Memorial, was approached by some PGA Tour officials and told that he had tested positive on Saturday for COVID-19 and then obviously had to withdraw immediately from that tournament. He was devastated. You can debate back and forth about whether they could have handled that better, tell him off the golf course after he's gone through the crowd, you have to tell the guy right as he's walking off the 18th green. But then there's arguments. Well, do you have a guy who just tested positive for COVID giving high fives and getting in close quarters with people? There's it's a no win situation and it sucks. Um, Rom is here. Rom is, you know, a player who's had success at Tory Pines. What are your thoughts? How, how much do you think that his forced, you know, withdrawal plays into this? Is it a motivating factor for him this week? I think it is. I think he's I mean, he, he's going to talk in a little while, so I look forward to hearing what he has to say about it. But I, I suspect that uh, that he's really fired up that, you know, he just had a victory s- stolen from him. I mean, he had a six stroke lead. I, I don't think he was going to fold the way he was he playing. He was going to win that. Yeah. And, and he's the defending champ there. He, he's he's playing, you know, he, he's playing again like he's a world number one. And, and so this is where he won his very first PGA Tour event. He's had a lot of success here. Um, I don't, you know, to me, the U S open would be the last major that I would have thought he'd, he'd win first, but I kind of like his chances this week. He's, um, he's a sneaky, good putter. I think a lot of people look at the power and the speed and his swing and don't realize how good 
he has been putting over his career. He's number three in the world because he can make pots. I love how aggressive he is. And I've told you this to before on these podcasts. My only concern with Rom is between the years. Yeah. Is is he has shown a lack of maturity, a lack of self-control at times. And I think it's cost him, which doesn't mean that he can't win this week. I think he totally can. Um, but it's difficult for me to say, like, he's going to be my guy to beat. He's the clear favorite until he does show us that for four rounds at a major um, that he is capable of putting it together, even if he doesn't win. But we see the four good rounds and he gets outplayed. I don't think there are very many people that can outplay John Rahm. I think you can count them on one hand. The guys who when Rahm is really feeling it, they're guys who are going to be able to stay with him because he makes a lot of birdies. Um, he's got all the shots. But to me, the emotional control and the lack of emotional control really is is the biggest thing that's holding him back. Let's talk about Phil Mickelson. 50 years old. He's going to turn 51 this week at the U.S. Open. San Diego guy. Um, I don't think that Walt Disney would have had the guts to write the script that Phil Mickelson completes the career Grand Slam, wins his U.S. Open in front of the home crowd, and wins a second major championship when he's 50, 51 years old, you know, with, within basically a month of each other. Is it too much to ask that we get Phil Mickelson to win a U.S. Open here, Tori? That's the story. It's too big to write. It's just, it's, too, it's, it's massive. <laughs> Where do you begin? I mean, with the six seconds and all the heartbreak, um, I mean, I still can't get over the fact that he won the PGA. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really. Like it hasn't hit us all. And it's going <laughs> to hit us in a few years. Like, holy crap. Phil has six majors. <laughs> you know, but he's been, he's been out here. He's been, he's been, he spent the last two weeks kind of relearning this golf course, childhood course that he played so many times and and had a lot of success on before the redo by by Reese Jones. He was not a big fan of of the work that was done by Reese Jones. He's been he's been very adamant about that. Um I don't know. I just feel like I, I feel like he's found something with this whole focus thing, but still the what he did at the PGA just at Kiowa came out of the blue. And I don't know if he can repeat it here this week. I really, I just would love to see him have the chance, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, I do. I think it's, it's too much to hope for. It's like you don't want to say it out loud that it could happen because then, like, you'll be the guy that jinx it, you know, when it, when it doesn't. But it is something that he has talked about openly that he has, he has trouble concentrating for prolonged periods at tournaments, you know, and putting a round together. He shot some hot rounds. To put four of them together, which someone's going to do here at the U.S. Open. That's that's how you win these things. This one, to me, is also the the most mentally taxing. It's designed to push players. It, they push golf courses sometimes too far. Um, They're trying to, like the, the slogan that the USGA has given this, the U.S. Open, is from many, one, e pluribus unum. Like they're, they're trying to grind everything out to until you get to the last guy standing. And... The thing that Phil Mickelson has said that he struggles with the most is the concentration. You can't have a lapse. You can't, you can make bogeys. I don't think that you can have a loose round and all of a sudden throw up 76 because for 45 minutes, you let things get away. Um, and, and I, you know, Mickelson can chew on the gum and, you know, hide, you know, behind the sunglasses and, and keep the emotions going and give everybody the thumbs up in the crowd such as it will be out here, will be hugely behind him. Golf Twitter will be hugely behind Phil Mickelson. It's um, it's one of the things I think that we just need to appreciate what we had at Kiowa. And 
I don't want to say don't get greedy because go ahead and root for whoever the hell you want. I mean, that, that, that's what it's all about. But realistically, getting two majors from Phil, one at age 50 and one at age 51, to me, is just such a big ask. I, I don't know. Um, who do you like better in terms of like the way that they're sort of put, put out here? Uh, Justin Thomas, world number two. Jordan Spieth, who finally has broken through, won that aforementioned 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers, who had a wonderful West Coast swing, not necessarily here, um, but he seems to have put it together, and Jordan Spieth is sort of looking like Jordan Spieth again. Of those two young American players, who do you like this week? I I, I kind of want to say JT, except that he hasn't played like JT of late. Nope. I mean... This should be a great venue for him as a bomber's course and with his iron play. I mean, his, his putting's just been so dismal. I got to see something better in his putting. Um, but, you know, what he did on Sunday at, at, at the players. TPC, yeah. Uh, but that's really the only round he's had the whole year that's that's been special. Um, he, he's been the first to say that it's been a, it's been a tough year for him in, in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think that he, that the, for the golf course, this is a good venue for him. But, but Jordan Spieth, what he's done this year has has really been a remarkable to see. And I don't, it's ha- it's just I don't know, just golf feels better with him playing good golf. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that it's really easy to be a Jordan Spieth fan. And that doesn't mean you're happy all the time because he's going to throw in a stinker every once in a while. Um, but we've had the comeback story now with 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 a win. Um, when Jordan started playing really well on the West Coast, January, well, really more into February and March, um, people got excited. Boy, I, I was taken a little bit. I knew that there are a lot of Jordan Spieth fans, and I know that he's a popular guy in the media tent with fans on social. He's not a big social media guy, um, but people people like Jordan Spieth, and I think that they sort of forgot when he gets it going and starts making those you know, 20, 25-footers hitting some good iron shots, getting up and down from all over the place. Like, boy, he's fun to watch. You know, and he gives you this rolling commentary with Michael Greller out there where, like, you, you just leave the mic open and let him tell you exactly what the hell is going on. And it's, it's fantastic. I'm worried that this is a little bit big of a course for Jordan, that, that he doesn't move the ball enough off the tee. But then his, his, he's improved every facet. I'm more worried that he's going to miss too many fairways. And, and, and there it is. Gonna, I mean, he, he can get up and down from, you know, a garbage can, but uh, he might have to do it too many times. Um, is this the site of Tiger Woods' greatest win, in your opinion? I think so. <laughs> I think so. You know, I'm. You know, what he winning by twelve? I don't know. Maybe I think Pebble in in a lot of ways, just that dominance. But uh, but winning on you know one one leg was was. You know, the guy shouldn't have been playing in the tournament it's, and he won. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where if someone were to do it today, it would, you know, it would blow the door. Because you, you know, remember, like 2008, social media is in its infancy. It's not really a thing. Um, and that was huge. Do you just remember? I mean, just remember the Saturday, the things oh he God. did on Saturday. It, it just blew your mind. And then he makes the pot on Sunday to force the playoff and. I mean, the playoff was, you know, it was incredible. Like I was, I was standing behind thirteen green um, when Tiger went out, and he had a putt that most Jamooks like us. It was about a sixty-five or seventy footer down the slope, 
um, on that big par five. And we would have putted it off the green, right off the front and down a hill and been a hundred yards away. And he jars it. And you're like, oh my gosh. And it was seismic, the the roar. I mean, we haven't heard Tiger roars now, obviously, since the, really the 2019 Masters was the last time. And hopefully someday we're going to get to hear a couple again soon. We missed that. Um, he holds out from a bunker, basically on the, on the bunker face later in the round and starts smiling. And you only come to realize, like, those shots were unbelievable. He was on one leg. We didn't know. And the day after, you know, there's a Monday playoff. Like, okay, you've played 72 holes. It's been grueling. You've got to be mentally fried. Here's here's another 18 with, you know, Rocco Mediate, bless his heart, who's going to try and be the David versus, you know, in this Goliath story. And 18 holes against him doesn't decide it. Let's play some right. more. Right. I mean, and I still can't. I've, I've almost forgotten how, how Rocco comes back. He's like three yes. down with three yes. to go. It should have been over like 10 times and it wasn't. <laughs> it's... um. And then the funny thing is I had a flight, like I changed my flights and I saw Tiger win and I literally raced into um, my rental car, raced to the airport in San Diego, which is anybody who's been around here, like the, the traffic can be not enjoyable heading downtown into the airport, ditch the car and I'm on, this is going to be such like a like pat myself on the back. I'm on my cell phone with Mike and the mad dog. As they're calling my flight, and it's either like hang up on the biggest sport talk radio station in the country who wants to talk about Tiger Woods or make my flight. And so I literally had to hang up mid-interview with them because the the woman who was at the gate was like, sir, you have to turn your phone off and get on the plane now. And I'm like, okay, this is happening right now. Click and, and radio sounds. And funny how I haven't been on the show any, again. <laughs> um, but I, I think that was... That was his biggest win. I'm going to say that that's bigger than Pebble 2000 only because the extenuating circumstance. I don't think the level of play with the golf was as good as we saw at Pebble. Um, there were so many great shots at Pebble that the Tiger hit. And to run away from a world-class field, um, Miguel and Hal Jimenez evidently having the line afterwards saying, like, when is the playoff between me and Ernie L start for second place? You know, when Tiger's finishing up. But drama and theater i think a big reason why tory pines is a u.s open venue this this week and potentially in the future is because tiger woods did what he did i think if if rocco mediate wins that in 72 holes i don't think that we look at this venue as having the allure um and the cachet that wh whatever it has tiger plays a huge role in in developing that so you know what uh what do you think for this week you got any picks for me I think we've mentioned some of the names that uh that jump jump out to me. I, I continue to say it's going to be bombers. It's going to be guys, I think some guys that have had success here in the past. Uh, Tony Finau has played well in the Farmers. Had success here in the in the Junior Worlds, going back as a you know a, teen, a teenager, and, and really likes this place. I, I think it fits his eye. And you know that guy. I, I feel like he's going to win one one of these days. So maybe it's this week. Justin Rose is one here. Uh, played it pretty well in some of the majors this year uh i'm just wondering who's going to pull the next rocco and a couple like a couple uh dark horses for me maybe like jason kokrak has been playing some good golf bomber uh sam burns was on a good run earlier this year i think he's i, I wouldn't surprise me and then there seems to always be that name that not anyone's really paying attention to but maybe like our uh our westchester county boy cameron young 
Pride of Wake Forest. <laughs> Mr. Happy himself. Boy, I so I was at the... Playing some great golf on the Corn Ferry Tour. Playing some great golf. Won twice in the month of May. He was the medalist at the sectional qualifier that I covered for Golf Week, the MGA, uh, a little over a week ago. And um, rumor has it that he smiled at some point the next day. But because he sure as hell didn't do it. He was... He was beat. He'd come from a Corn Ferry Tour event, flew in on Sunday, played 36 holes, um, was leaving the next day to go to the next Corn Ferry Tour event, and looked like he wanted no part of anything. <laughs> you know, but he played great golf. There's no denying that on U.S. Open style golf courses. So um, I'm going to take Xander Shoffley. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you say <laughs> that, but you didn't say the name. You mentioned everybody else. You got, to, you got to Cameron Young, but you didn't say it. Xander was a, one of the runner-ups uh, at the Farmers Championship, the Farmers Insurance Championship this year. Um, he is a San Diego guy. To me, yeah, it feels right. If you look at his game, there are no weaknesses. He's longer than people give him credit for. He makes putts. He's been on big stages. He's he's played, you know, on Cup teams at this point. The next step in his evolution is finally winning a major championship. He's going to be paired with Phil Mickelson and Max Homa. It's the SoCal boys. You know, there's all the USGA loves to get themselves some groups. Um, we've got a bunch of Texans. We've got former US Open winners. We've got former Masters champs. The SoCal guys. I, I think it's a great pairing for him with Mickelson and Max. And I would be very surprised if Xander isn't hyper focused. Um, this has to have been circled on his calendar years in advance a home game at u.s open he, he was walking these fairways in 2008 yeah it's it's gonna mean so much to him that um i i think he is one of the guys people are talking about him it's not like i'm going way off the board here he's a top 10 player um i i'll be fascinated to see what we get from patrick reed um obviously there's a lot of pushback on p reed there's a lot of that's self-inflicted um you know bryson's gonna get heckled I don't know that Reed's going to get heckled because like he's been forgotten by so many people. Like he just doesn't, he won the farmers, you know, and, but you ask a lot of people out here, he is not someone who's on many radars. Don't you think? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's I think he's, he doesn't mind getting heckled though. No, he's used to it. And, <laughs> and he kind of almost thrives on it. <laughs> um, everybody loves an anti-hero. You know, we've, we've come to see that in the movies. I, I, I'm not buying any Patrick Reed stock, but I will be buying a bunch of Xander Shoffley stock. And I'm willing to go out there, although it's not on a limb anymore, um, of getting myself some Will Zalatoris stock. Um, I, I am 100% fully on board the Will Zalatoris love train. Um, <laughs> I, I think he is a star. I, 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 have, I have zero doubt in my mind. I don't know that he's going to be a star as quickly as Rom was because that was an anomaly. Rom was basically a top 10 player before he finished his first cup of coffee on the PGA tour. Zalatoris is really, really good. And it's just a joke that he's not a PGA tour member yet. Officially he's going to be, um, it's a COVID thing. We knew about that going in. I don't think he's faced by, I think he is wise beyond years. Thanks to his love for analytics and his understanding of exactly who he is and what he does, which is basically a ball striking machine. Um, he's smart. He's got the length I think that you need around here. I don't think that he's going to put himself in a pickle. I think he's going to try and avoid big numbers and just plot along. And plotting usually does well at U.S. Opens. If you can avoid the doubles and the triples and give up a bogey here and steal a birdie there, you usually are in the mix. I, I would think you're going to be in the mix here. Now, come Thursday, if we see guys all of a sudden shooting 65s, that 
changes some things. But I'm I'm a believer in Will Zalatoris, just like I'm a believer in you, Adam Shupak. I'm a believer in you. Thank you very, very much once again coming on the Ford Press. Uh, what are you going to be working on this week for for Golf Week? Well, uh, got. I mean, I got a whole lot of stories on the on the site right now. Um, some travel tips for coming to San Diego and Carlsbad because everybody mm-hmm. should get out here and enjoy this. Uh, oh yeah, this wonderful city and 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 all the great golf courses. But uh, going to do a little John Rom later today, and and uh, I think there'll be some good stories to tell this week. Always are at the U.S. Open. It's U.S. Open. There always are. Thanks a lot, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.